Uh, today, inshallah, short and perhaps inshallah a bit of an academic khatira. I recited Surah Al-Hujurat and there is a verse in Surah Al-Hujurat that created a lot of discussion amongst our ulama and the ulama of other groups as well. In fact, it led to a big theological dispute amongst our ummah. Allah says in Surah Al-Hujurat that قالت الأعراب آمنا The Bedouins have said, we have iman. قل لم تؤمنوا ولكن قولوا أسلمنا Say, you don't have iman, but say, you have accepted Islam. وَلَمَّا يَدْخُلِ الْإِيمَانُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ Iman has not yet entered your hearts. You have Islam, you don't have iman. This is what the verse allegedly is saying. Again, we're going to discuss some of these controversies today. They said, we have iman. Allah says, you don't have iman, you have Islam. And Iman has not yet entered your heart. But as long as you obey Allah and His Messenger, your good deeds will not go to waste. You shall be rewarded for your good deeds. And the verses go on. Now, this verse has led to, as we said, a lot of discussion, not just within our own tradition, Ahl Sunnah Sunni, but also outside of our tradition. Because what then is the relationship between Islam and Iman? When Allah is saying, you can have Islam without Iman. And yet, think about it, if, us, if you ask an average Muslim, you must have some Iman to have Islam. I mean, why did you accept Islam if you don't have any Iman? And in the Hadith of Jibreel, Iman is defined as believing in the six pillars, correct? How can you have Islam without believing in the six pillars? You understand this, this point as well, right? So what then does it mean that you have Islam, but you don't have Iman? And Iman has not yet entered your heart. This is actually, as we said, one of the most complex questions of our Islamic history and theology. And in fact, interestingly, this was the first controversy of our aqidah, historically speaking. Actually, you can say second, because if you wanted to go, the first would be the, uh, the Khilafah and you know, the, the difference between the two main strands. You can say that goes back a little bit. But the largest controversy that occurred in the first century of Islam was over this issue. What does it mean to be a Muslim? What does it mean to be a mu'min? What is the definition of Islam and Iman? And this controversy, as you know, led to a, 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 an actual split within our ummah. You had the Kharijites on one side, and then you had others, and many others formed as well. Today we're going to summarize a little bit so that you have an idea, so that we have, inshallah, a better understanding of our intellectual history. Now, first point we need to know is that even within our tradition of Sunni ulama, people differed over this verse. Imam al-Bukhari, Imam al-Bukhari used this verse to make his case that Islam and Iman is actually the same thing, 100% the same. And he reasoned, and this is in the chapter headings of his Sahih, that you can't have Islam without Iman, and you can't have Iman without Islam. And he looked at the hadith of Jibreel, not as a three-tiered, like you begin with Islam, then you go to Iman, then you go to Ihsan. You know, we are taught that Iman is higher than Islam, Ihsan is higher than Iman. This is not Imam al-Bukhari's opinion. Imam al-Bukhari was a flat in this regard. He reasoned, which is again very logical, Islam, Iman, and Ihsan must coexist in the heart at the same time. You have to have Islam and Iman and Ihsan all at the same time. And that's what makes you a believer. 
That's what makes you a Muslim, a Mu'min, a Muhsin. It's all at the same time. He didn't look at it as, okay, you go rise up higher, you get Iman, you rise up higher, you get Ihsan. He said, it doesn't make any sense. You have to have Iman at level one. How can you be a Muslim without having Iman? So Imam al-Bukhari, how do you understand this verse? How do you understand this verse that we have Islam, but we don't have Iman? Imam al-Bukhari said, ah, look at the technical language of the Quran. Look at the technical language. Allah negates that they were, they had Iman. But Allah says, you have outwardly accepted Islam. Imam al-Bukhari says, these are the hypocrites. Aslamna does not mean you are Muslim to Imam al-Bukhari. Aslamna means you have said we have embraced Islam. So Imam al-Bukhari said this verse, qalatil a'rabu. This verse, walamma yudkhulil iman, is talking about the munafiqeen. And the munafiqeen outwardly said, we have Islam. Allah says, that's what you're saying. You have politically said, we are, we are, we are the people of Islam. But you are not Muslim. This is what Imam al-Bukhari said, aslamna. You have embraced Islam verbally, but you don't have iman in your hearts. So Imam al-Bukhari said, this verse is actually not for the believers, it's for the hypocrites. Other scholars said, Sufyan al-Thawri, al-Zuhri, others, they said, Islam is the profession of entering the faith, and Iman is the deeds that show that you have entered the faith. So they said, Islam is the profession of the kalima. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And Iman, it is you show that Islam with your deeds and actions. So they said, Iman is the amal that shows that you have Islam. Others said, Islam is the outer function and Iman is the inner belief. And this is the common you know, understanding many of us have as well because the arkan al-Islam are deeds, prayer, and zakah, and fasting, and hajj. What is this? Deeds. And even to say the shahada, it's a deed, it's an action. And iman, what is the sixth? To believe in Allah, to believe in the messengers, to believe in the... So this is something internal. So there's a very common understanding, many, many of us have this as well. Islam is the actions, and iman is the theology. And this is, again, an opinion. Actually, it is the majority opinion. That's why it is so common as well. Then we also have this interpretation that actually there's two types of Iman. And sometimes when Allah says Iman, He means Islam. Ya amanu means, O people of Islam. So sometimes when Allah says Iman, He means Islam. Ya amanu. And sometimes when Allah says Iman, He means a higher level. And this is in Surah Al-Hujurat. You are level one. Aslamna. You haven't reached level two. Amanna. Right? And this concept of Iman being a higher level, again, you can find verses for this. For example, Allah praises the believers for doing deeds that maybe the Muslim is struggling to do, the, uh, the level one, right? So the mu'min is the one when Allah is mentioned, his hearts tremble. The mu'min is the one when they hear Allah and his mission, they respond immediately. The mu'min is the one who prays regularly, right? So when Allah talks about the mu'min, there's always an extra push, not just the basic level. So one interpretation, therefore, and this is, I would say, the, the, the predominant or the majority one, is that the word iman in the Quran and in the sunnah has two meanings. And you have to look at the context to decide which meaning. 
The first meaning, Iman and Islam are synonymous, like Imam al-Bukhari said. So when Allah says, Ya amanu, for example, He means, O people of Islam. And the second meaning is that it is a higher level. And this higher level is an indication that not only have you submitted, but you have at some level perfected. At some level brought about much higher than simply accepting Islam. Now, this controversy within our tradition spilled to outside of our tradition. And other Muslim groups claiming to be Muslim had very interesting interpretations. So for example, the first group known as the Kharijites, the, the group that broke away from Ali radiallahu anh, the first group to actually physically break away. That's what I'm saying, which is the first controversy. If you say uh, Sunni Shia, I don't like saying these terms, but it is what it is. In reality, there was no actual split, physical split uh, for Sunni Shia, at least for another you know, 50 years after this. So actual split occurred way afterwards. But if you say Kharijites, there was an actual split. But if you look at historically, then the, 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 the roots of the division of Sunni Shia go back to obviously when the Prophet passed away. And if you look at historically the first physical split, it is the Kharijites. So it depends on how you want to view it. So today's talk, we want to talk about Kharijites because the other controversy is not related to us. Kharijism, what is it about? It's about this misunderstanding, Islam and Iman. And the definition of Islam and what it means to be a Muslim. They said that when Allah has said in the Quran, don't do something, and a person does it, well then this means that this person has left belief in Allah. How can a person believe in Allah, and then Allah is saying, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't drink alcohol, and then they do it. This means they don't have belief. And they applied this verdict against the Sahaba themselves. When Ali and Muawiyah they agreed to a arbitration, they agreed to an arbitration. The Kharijites said, this arbitration is against the Quran. Because the Quran says, you must judge by Allah, not judge by men. Because you have disobeyed the Quran, you have gone against the Quran, you have left the fold of Islam. This level of fanaticism then, it spread and many groups amongst them formed. The basic premise they had, understand this principle. To be a Muslim, you must obey the Qur'an 100%. Now it sounds alluring to the average person, right? If you say it that way, how can you be a Muslim and not follow the Qur'an? I mean, it sounds very interesting. That was their slogan. We want the Qur'an. That is the slogan of the Kharijites, by the way. Sometimes the slogan sounds good, but the meaning is wrong. We want the Qur'an. Now, the problem that comes with this is that they took these types of verses that mentioned to be a mu'min, you have to do these things. They said, if you don't do them, you're not a mu'min. And it makes sense from their perspective, right? But they forgot an entire other series of verses. The series of verses that Allah forgives. And the reality that the Sahaba, even some of the prophets like our father Adam salam, they slipped and they did things they should not have done. So the reality therefore is iman and doing deeds and committing sins is a very complex topic, not as simplistic as the Kharijites. And we, the Sunni Muslims, said that Islam and Iman, the definitions of them are that Islam you have accepted by the Shahada, and Iman is that you follow up that acceptance by demonstrating you believe in Allah, you say the Shahada, and you do good deeds. 
Now here then another controversy happened. What is the minimal level of good deeds that you must do to be a Muslim? What is the minimal level? Somebody says he was born a Muslim, he was born in a Muslim family, but he never does anything. Never prays, never fasts, never does anything. So, I'm a Muslim, but no action. Because if you, uh, logically there's four scenarios. Let's take a step back. Logically there's four scenarios. Number one, inside your heart you have faith and you're acting uh, outside. This is the reality of most of us, inshallah. Number two, inside your heart you have nothing and you're not acting. This is kufr, you're kafir. Number three, you're acting but you have nothing inside your heart. What is this called? What is this called? Nifaq, hypocrisy. This is a phenomenon the Quran mentions. Clear? So, so far, all of these three, we have them. Clearly a Muslim, clearly a kafir. Number three, munafiq. Number four, you have faith, but you have no actions. Is this a possibility or not? Can you say, or is it possible that a person says, oh, I, I have in my heart, I believe. But then there's no follow-up. This is one of the most controversial issues of Islamic theology. And you find discussions in every book of theology and even within Sunnism, you find many opinions in this regard. Actually, you find six opinions, which we're not going to go into today. Within. As for without another six, you can add, mashallah, tabarakallah. This is one of those very controversial topics. But to give you a, a sample, and then I'm going to conclude on a practical note, inshallah. To give you a sample, one, and, and subhanallah, here's the point, brothers and sisters. Wallahi, subhanallah, the more you study, the more humble you become that other people's positions, I see where they're coming from even if I disagree. Every one of these groups is using evidence and is using Quranic verses and is using a hadith of the Prophet It's not as if they're coming out of thin air. The more you study, the more open-minded you become. Oh, I see where you're coming from even if I disagree. But I understand you have a, you have a ta'wil we call it. You have a, a, a way of doing it. One group within our tradition, it is said that uh, Imam Ahmad had one of the opinions with this. One group said, and this is one of the strictest opinions, to be a Muslim, you must practice all the pillars of Islam. If you don't fast, forget salah, if you don't give zakah, if you don't go for hajj and you're able to go for hajj, you are not even a Muslim. And they reasoned, very logically, what is a rukun, arkan, except a fundamental inside integral pillar. It's a very simple evidence, right? When the Prophet said, Islam is built on five pillars. If you don't have a pillar, you don't even have the building. If this is a pillar, a rukun, by definition, fiqhi books, a rukun is that which if you don't have it, you don't have the deed. One of the arkan of salah is to stand, to face the qibla too. Well, that's the sharba too, to say the fatiha. If you don't recite the fatiha and you're praying on your own, all the madahib say you haven't done a rukun, there is no salah. So by definition, when you say Islam has five arkan, then means you must have everything. That was a very strict position, and it is held by some people. Another opinion is that actually the hajj, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made an exception and whatnot, we cannot put it in there. So let's put everything else in there. So it's the salah and zakah and fasting Ramadan. Another opinion is that, well, no, fasting and hajj we cannot monitor. But we can monitor salah and zakah. So we must pray and give zakah and we are Muslim. Otherwise, if a person does not give zakah out of laziness, many ulama said this person is not a Muslim. And they reasoned, the Quran says in over 70 verses, 
Allah Azza wa Jal, not 70 in this case, sorry, 30 verses. Allah combines praying and fasting. Allah always mentions. And when Allah talks about the pagans of Mecca embracing Islam, Allah says, فَإِنْتَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَوُوا الزَّكَاةَ فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينَ If they reject their idolatry, and they pray and give zakah, they shall be your brethren in faith. Means if they don't, they're not your brethren in faith. And what happened at the time of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, groups began not giving zakah. What did Abu Bakr as-Siddiq consider them? He considered them outside the fold of Islam. And he said, I'm going to wage war against them because they don't give zakah. And Umar ibn Khattab himself said, how can you fight them and they pray? What did Abu Bakr say? I swear I will fight the one who differentiates between salah and zakah. We can say this tension of what, what is the middle level of iman, we have it right now between Umar and Abu Bakr radiallahu It's not an easy question. There's a gray area here. Even Umar ibn Khattab is saying, how can you consider them outside when they are praying? And Abu Bakr says, if they differentiate between salah and zakah, and Allah has not differentiated, Allah has said, you have to pray and give zakah. If they separate and Allah has not separated, they're outside the fold for me. So that is an opinion as well. Another opinion, we're just kind of giving a quick list. Another opinion is that, no, no, the zakah is not a part of the integral part of being a Muslim. You commit a major sin if you don't give zakah, but salah is necessary. And this opinion is fairly mainstream. Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim, uh, one of the positions, Imam Ahmad, Sufyan al-Thawri, a lot of great scholars held this opinion. And this is, to this day, the Hanbali opinion. Out of the madhahibs, the Hanbali school holds this. That if you do not pray, you are not considered a Muslim out of laziness. And many evidence, Ibn Al-Qayyim wrote an entire book in which he lists 22 evidences. And he says, the one who abandons the salah out of laziness, his profession of Islam means nothing. And they have a lot of evidences. They're probably the easiest one for us to just deal with today. Our Prophet said, hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Our Prophet said, that the treaty that I have with my people is the salah. Whoever abandons the salah, faqad kafar. Man tarakaha, faqad kafar. Whoever abandons the salah has committed kufr. So they have their evidences in this regard. Now, within this opinion, there's another opinion. Ibn al-Qayyim's opinion was that the one who never prays. And they also have a, a very simple evidence, and that is the evidence of Iblis. Iblis is an evidence here. How so? If he was told to do one sajda, and he said no. How about the one, Ibn al-Qayyim says, he is called to do at least 32 sajdas a day, 34 sajdas a day. And he refuses over and over and over again because 17 rak'ah is the minimum, right? So 17 rak'ah is the minimum. And he continues to say, no, 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 no. How can he not be? And they have another evidence from Iblis as well, by the way. Iblis becomes an icon study. They say, Iblis is a case example of an entity who knows Allah is the Rabb. And who knows that Allah sends prophets, yet Iblis is not a believer. So mere knowledge is not enough. This is what this group says. Mere knowledge. And they also mention the example of, they say, Abu Talib knew but did not accept. 
And they mentioned the example of who else? Can anybody give me another example of knowing and not accepting? There's in the Quran multiple examples, by the way. Who? I can't hear you. Walid al-Mughira, we don't know if he knew or not. Heraclius, the emperor of Rome. Heraclius, the famous story. He knew. Another category, the whole Quran, the category, Allah says, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ The Yahud of Medina, specifically the Yahud of Medina. They know him, but they reject him. So this group says, notice, Allah affirms that they know the truth. Knowing the truth does not make them Muslim. And that's a very valid point, if you look at it from their perspective, right? Within this, you had an even more, mashallah, hard line. Because Ibn Qayyim said, this is the one who abandons the salah completely. No Jumu'ah, no Eid, no whatnot. By the way, that applies to a lot of people we know. This is the reality. According to this madhab, according to them, their, their fatwa is, I'm not giving this fatwa, I'm saying you should know of it. I don't agree with this fatwa, but their fatwa is, if you know somebody like this, no janazah over that person. And no burial in the Muslim graveyard, and, and, and. That's their verdict, and okay, we respect it. It's good to mention these types of things in salah to, alhamdulillah, you guys are all fajr prayer, means you all pray five times a day. For the salat al-jumu'ah, obviously not everybody is praying five times a day. We mention this, hey guys, no, there's an opinion there that says if you don't pray, you have left the fold of Islam. Yes, this is good to mention. But when it comes to practical realities, obviously if you know somebody like this, you're not going to not pray janazah, you're not going to avoid the Muslim graveyard or whatever in this regard. Right? You have within this an even more, mashallah, yani hard line, and that is not just to abandon the entirety of salah, to abandon one salah makes you outside the fold of Islam. In fact, one of the scholars said in our times, if you set your alarm at night for after fajr, knowing you're going to oversleep fajr, you have left the fold of Islam, you have to take your shahada again. It's good to quote these things to know that there's reputable ulama who hold this view and they have their evidences, right? Whoever leaves the salah has committed kufr. And Allah mentioning you know, that what caused you to enter Jahannam? It's in the Quran. The number one reason we did not use to pray. So they have their interpretation in this regard. And then you have another school within Sunnism who said the following. They said all of these deeds of salah and zakah and hajj and whatnot, no doubt they are important and we should not trivialize. But if a person says the kalima and doesn't do any of this, he has the bare minimal level of iman, that means he has the hukuk of the Muslim. And he might be punished for being lazy, but eventually if he said the kalima, eventually they will enter Jannah. As long as he said the kalima. And this group points out, you know, Iblis and Abu Talib and Heraclius, they did not say the kalima. They did not say the kalima. But the one who says the kalima and says, I'm a Muslim and identifies with Islam, they say this group, even if they don't do any of these deeds, then they are just within the fold, even if they're on the fringe, but they're within the fold. And they also point out, this group, that practically speaking, this is the default position of the ummah in terms of practice. How many are the people who have not prayed in Islamic history? 
And the fuqaha and ulama did not make that verdict on their janazah. People, it's known, this is what happens. You don't question when the janazah comes, did he pray zakah every year? Did he fast Ramadan? You assume he lived his life saying he's a Muslim. He had the karima. You leave his affair to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they also mention other things, and that is the reality of, for example, um, uh, Najashi. Najashi. Interesting case study. If one group brings the case study of Heraclius, the other group brings the case study of Najashi. What is the case study of Najashi? Najashi accepted Islam with the tongue. Did he say the kalima? No. In his heart. In his heart he accepted. He never prayed. He never fasted. He never went for hajj. And he remained the emperor. In fact, even Ibn Taymiyyah, by the way, in another separate section, he goes, it is you know, confirmed that Najashi did not pray and he did not do any of the outward rituals and yet the Prophet ﷺ prayed janazah over him. And he said, a righteous man, a brother of yours has died. So what does this mean? They say, this group. It means if you identify even internally with Islam, even if nobody knows. Now in this case, the Prophet ﷺ knew that Najashi identified, right? If we didn't know, we treat him as a non-Muslim. But because he identified as a Muslim, he said he's a Muslim internally, right? And Allah knows this. And the Prophet knew this because Jibreel told him he's considered a Muslim. Now, in the end of the day, this is a very technical, theological aspect. It's interesting. It's also, you know, each one has its, its positions and whatnot. And subhanAllah, what we find from all of this is that sometimes those who go too deep in these issues, they kind of disconnect from the reality. To say that it is kufr to not pray, which is a mainstream opinion, it might be interesting to use it in a khutbah. But as I said, historically, realistically, this verdict has never been actually applied. Never in once in Islamic history has somebody been executed for not praying. In fact, there's a famous alleged debate. You should know it's alleged. Between Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad. It's not actually historically true. Probably between a Shafi'i scholar and a Hanbali scholar. And then it got attributed to the founders, right? So the Hanbali scholar, allegedly Imam Ahmad himself, but this historically most likely did not happen. That Shafi'i is older than Ahmad ibn Hanbal in terms of age. And Hanbal was a student. The alleged conversation, the Shafi'i said to Ahmad, I heard that you say the one who doesn't pray is a kafir. Imam Ahmad said, yes, allegedly. Again, realistically, it's probably two scholars. Yes. A Shafi'i says, I don't think so. He's a Muslim. So a Shafi'i, and again, this is in the books of the Shafi'is, so it shows this group won that group. That's why it's a bit historically a little bit, because again, this type of debate wouldn't take place. But anyway, so Imam Shafi'i allegedly asked Imam Ahmad, you say the one who doesn't pray, the salah becomes a kafir. What must he do to be forgiven? So he says he must make up that salah immediately. He must make up that salah immediately. Imam Shafi'i said, but you've just called him a kafir. And the salah of the kafir is not acceptable. If a kafir stands up and prays, it's not acceptable. So how can the kafir pray and then be forgiven for that prayer when he's a kafir? You see the, the contradiction here, right? So this shows, according to Imam Shafi'i, he's actually a Muslim. And when you say he must pray... To be forgiven, this indicates he's committed a sin and not committed kufr. Again, this is the technical debate. In the end of the day, inshallah, we finish with this point. This controversy of what is the minimal level of iman, it's a very important one. It's a very, there is some pragmatic, obviously, you know, because we all know people who, you know, they're on the very fringe and whatnot. 
my position to you is whatever academic you know, position you follow, in reality, given the circumstances of our ummah and whatnot, accept anybody who simply says they're Muslim, treat them as Muslims, and make dua for them, right? And reminds me of a famous anecdote with this we conclude. One of the scholars of our times passed away like 20, 30 years ago, great alim, you all know his name. Um, he was asked, Shaykh, this controversy over who is a Muslim, do you have to pray or not? What is the verdict on the one who abandons the salah? Tell us your opinion. And the Shaykh said, my verdict on the one who abandons the salah is you go to his house, hold on to his hand, and take him to the masjid. That's my verdict. This whole controversy, who's Iman, who's Muslim, who's Kafir, that's good for the books. In real life, you have to have some compassion and some rahmah and help people pray. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all make us of those who have Iman and Islam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow our Iman to be perfected. May Allah azza wa jal forgive our sins and make us of those who establish the salah and the zakah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Have you ever wished that there was a Muslim version of YouTube or Netflix? Well, we have created one. The One Islam TV app has no adverts and is safe to browse for your peace of mind. Watch hundreds of high-quality produced Islamic reminders, Quran videos, stories of the prophets, hot topic, debates, and so much more. Four to eight new videos are uploaded daily, inshallah. You can watch or listen to videos while your device is switched off. Watch videos on demand or download videos and watch offline. One Islam TV is 100% run and owned by Muslims, which means the small amount you pay for your subscription is a sadaqah jariyah, continuous charity for you, as we use the funds raised to continue producing more beneficial videos and reminders, inshallah. The One Islam TV app is now available on Apple devices, Apple TV, Android devices, Android TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku so you can watch on most devices and smart TVs. Download now for a free 7-day trial. May Allah reward you for supporting our work. Mm -hmm.